were met by Evan Baker and Jesse Gentry of American Arson. Guys, great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Well, I was going to talk about American Arson being a Detroit band, but as we record this, you're actually in the land of Disney. Yes, down here in Orlando, Florida, in the sunshine. But I hear that you're not just coming down to see your favorite Disney character. You're actually there for football. (laughs) Yes, we're huge Michigan fans. We're here for the bowl game. I guess we should let everybody know that it's 9 o'clock in the morning on New Year's Day. Are you guys as nuts as I am for doing this? Um, you know, we were, when we came down, we were like, (laughs) let's try to get everything in that we possibly can. So we actually did all four Disney parks in one day. We got up at like (laughs) 6.30 in the morning. We were there till one in the morning, I think. Yeah. Well, we were there past one. They say it closes at one, but we were already in line. So they let us stay. So, uh, yeah, we're all about, (laughs) we're all about cramming everything in we can. So why not? We'll do the interview and. And uh, then we're going to go to downtown Disney and then over to the football game and then start making our way back to uh, snowy Detroit. (laughs) Well, Evan, you were with your previous band, Good Luck Varsity, for quite a long time. Yeah, it was about uh, seven-ish years there. And what made you want to start up a new project? Um, Well, we, uh, we had been pretty active with the touring and everything, and um I think the last couple of years we were on the road like eight out of the 12 months of the year and it just really started to take a toll on the relationships of the band members Um, and it got to a point where it was just kind of impossible to maintain our relationships as friends and still uh, be effective as a band. You know, there's probably some things that we all could have done a little bit better. We very briefly had a manager, but we didn't have a label. We didn't have a a team supporting us so we were booking all the tours on our own we were our own tour managers we were our own you know managers we were our own producers and i think after a while it just kind of took its toll um you know we were all working really hard and uh but we all also had different priorities so um there came a point where you know it, it became obvious after a few meetings and a few attempts to reconcile that it was probably time to move on um and it's probably a good thing because now you know that some time has passed. Uh, everybody is is able to to remember it fondly and and positively and and you know get back to being a, at a place where we feel like we can have a conversation and you know that's a place that none of us were a couple of years ago. So that's I think it was it was probably good that we got out before there was more damage done to you know relationships and stuff like that. What you're doing now, though, is quite a change from what you did with GLV. I mean, obviously, there's no way you could consider American Arson a clone of GLV. And that was <laughs> that was pretty important to me. Um, I like a lot of different styles of music, and so picking a style of music that was not, you know, the the exact same uh, as Good Luck Varsity uh, to perform it wasn't really very difficult. But really, it was just more about, you know, I wanted to just kind of start off on my own terms and... Um, be able to play what I wanted to play and not, you know, necessarily have to run everything by a a committee of band members. You know, when you're in a band with four people or or something, it's sort of like a, uh, you know, a democracy where everybody gets a vote and and that's awesome. But when you have ideas and you want to be creative on your own, uh, sometimes that can get in the way of the creative process and it's just a little uh, easier to just start hammering ideas out. And so, you know, with American Arson, that was an opportunity to sit down in front of a a big pedal board with a whole bunch of options and um, just kind of be creative without uh, 
having to consult someone and just kind of, you know, do, do my own thing. You originally started this as a solo effort, but now Jesse's a part of the band. Tell us about yourself, Jesse. Uh, well, I was finishing up school last spring. Uh, it was my last semester, and I had a friend come up to me and, and mention that this guy he knew had, had posted a blog post, I guess you could say, about wanting to find a full-time drummer, and he referred me to it, and I just got in contact with Evan and, and shot him a message. And I remember he had posted kind of like, a questionnaire for anyone interested and I, I messaged him and just just general information you know and I, I didn't really fill out the questionnaire in my message to him I said I know I really didn't kind of go by your questionnaire but um, I feel like we, we see to eye to eye on, on most things and have the same goals and this is kind of what I've been looking for musically and and uh, we got together and, and jammed a bit and uh, clicked really well and it's, it's taken off from there, so it's been it's been really good, and I think we see things uh, similarly musically as well, and in, in the direction we're headed. This most recent EP, the Bun the Bones, was the first one we've done together. I joined shortly after the first two had come out, and so that was a cool experience, I think, for for the both of us to be able to work on that creatively together. So the styles is really true, straight up rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, you could say that for sure. It makes it easy to explain to people. <laughs> We're just a rock and roll band. <laughs> but don't you find that's almost like a dying art form now? Bands uh, seem to get into so many subgenres. Yeah, somewhat. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know, for me, it's tough sometimes to listen to an album where an artist feels constrained by a genre, and you can really tell. You know, if they're a metalcore band and there's 10 songs where they don't deviate from, you know, what you would consider to be the constraints of, of metalcore, um, or you see it a lot in like in the pop punk genre um, where people are, um, you know, they kind of are a little bit constricted by that genre rather than just writing, you know, what comes out. And so I think my favorite bands have always been the bands that, you know, they're like, yeah, we're a rock band, but that could mean that we're going to be fast and aggressive here. That could mean that we're going to slow things down and build some tension here. You know, so my favorite bands have always been those bands that are able to uh, just uh, say, hey, what can we do with some drums and guitars? You know, whether that's sometimes that means getting as big as possible. Sometimes that means uh, breaking it down as small as possible. And, um, you know, those are the bands that are interesting for me to listen to. And so that's the kind of music that I wanted to write. Well, with you guys now being a two-piece, are there other two-piece bands that inspire you? Um, Jesse's, a, Jesse's a pretty big fan of uh, 21 Pilots. I think I'm inspired by the idea of two-piece bands and two-piece bands that are able to create a big sound with just a couple of performers, um, more so than inspired by any of the sounds of those bands. Yeah, I think I, I've always, like you said, I've been a huge 21 Pilots fan for a while, and... Um, when I originally messaged him about joining and uh, we kind of got started and um, I think the thought of having a two-piece band that played, like you said, just straight rock and roll and, and played this style of music, which is, which is a little different from 21 Pilots, um, that was really appealing to me too because as much as you see, you know, you've seen them ha go on to have huge success, uh, you don't see as many two-pieces with with our sound specifically as well. So it kind of was drawing on two things I really like a little bit 
uh, heavier rock and roll, uh, as well as the idea of being able to pull everything off live with just the two of us. And we don't do uh, programming or any looping from a computer or anything. It's all done live via his guitar and pedal board and, and my drums as well. So um, that's something we've worked really hard at is our, our live show and being able to present that as a, as a true two-piece performance. So... A legitimate two-piece performance. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. No man behind the <laughs> curtains. No, no aid from uh, electronic sources. Just doing it straight up. Talking about two-piece and how differently every band handles it. You go yeah. to see a band like '68, and they just yeah. freestyle. Yeah. Like they just look at each other and they just go with it. it just <laughs> right. moves and flows. Other bands, uh, P.S. I Love You, massive pedal set. You know, the guy can just do anything with his guitar <laughs> from that. Death From Above, 1979, in your face, full bore, going full tilt. Yeah. You know? And it's wild to see the difference between the bands. Yeah, it's it's really cool. You know, it's kind of like, I think a lot of people assume, like, if you're a two-piece, there's only one way to do it. And, you know, you just highlighted bands that do things you know very differently I, I definitely like what 68 does with kind of the rawness and we definitely have some parts where you know where we don't have any of the loops going and it's just you know guitar and drums and then the guitar coming through the bass amp and just kind of trying to make as much noise as possible so you know we love messing around with feedback and stuff like that and that's something 68 and uh the chariot before them that's something they were uh, really into doing and it's definitely cool to see. We don't run into a lot of two-piece bands, but it's cool to, you know, yeah. research them and kind of see, you know, what other two-piece bands are doing. And I think we've drawn a little bit of influence from, from all kinds of different groups like that and others as well. But, you know, as a two-piece, figuring out how to do it. I mean, I'm, I mentioned 21 Pilots as a huge influence for me. And, I mean, we're nothing necessarily like them musically, but I think I've, you know taken the aspect of, you know, Josh Dunn, their drummer, has been a huge influence for me in, in terms of just how he goes about his live show and um, as a drummer in a two-piece. And obviously, I'm kind of um, by my kit for a majority of the set, whereas to Evan, you know, he has to try and move around and fill a stage uh, by himself. And, you know, watching a guy like, like Josh uh, and, and those other groups as well, how can I... Um, you know, fill out the live presentation myself, not just from a music standpoint, but um, really making the crowd feel like I'm I'm there and present as well, and that the stage is full. Because that's that's another thing. Live is you know, there's only two of us, so we're not playing like huge amphitheaters or anything. But not uh, yet. <laughs> well, thank you. But any stage we're on, you know, we want to make kind of be in your face, you know, make the crowd feel connected to us and um, really feel like we're right there. So, yeah, we've we've drawn a huge influence from a, a bunch of different people in two pieces specifically, even if, even if stylistically we're not necessarily the same as them. Well, then what would you consider to be the pros and cons of American Arts and creating music with only two band members? Well... Um, you know, one of the pros is that it really pushes uh, creativity because, um, for example, if we want to do a, a lead guitar part and a rhythm guitar part, so the way that we pull that off is um, I use a loop pedal and I'll play one part 
kick the pedal, that part plays back, then I'm playing the other part over that. And sometimes we'll do that up to like four times to create, you know, basically a whole bunch of stuff going on. And so um, from a creative standpoint, it's like, how do we do this without like, you know, sitting here all day looping over and over and over again and, and making people just get super bored with it? You know, how do we make this feel like a live rock show yet still, um, you know, use these tools, you know, different pedals and, and live loopers and stuff like that to make a bigger sound? You know, to me, that's a pro. Uh, it can also be a con. Um, if, you know, it. You know, for example, if we if we start a song on a recording where the lead and the rhythm kick straight in at the same time, when we might have to come up with a different way to begin that song when we play it live. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll have to go back through and say, okay, what do we want to do? Maybe we'll play the lead, you know, kind of quietly, um, you know, clean with some effects on it or something. And then, bam, we'll come in like what most people would have heard if they're listening to the EP um, as the beginning of the song. You know, we'll come in in there after, uh, you know, 30 seconds or so of, of adding in these loops. So you do always have to kind of be figuring out, you know, how are we going to pull this off? And it's not always as straightforward as, oh, yeah, you know, if you're a four piece band, you just go and you play the songs the way that they are recorded. You know, for me as a drummer, too, it's a fun and, and different experience just like learning how to how to write drums and and stuff that really fill it out too because that's the other thing we want to sound huge we want to sound full and we want to be loud live and writing songs that when you when you get up there it doesn't necessarily just sound like a two-piece um, exactly and uh, we joke about sometimes how how many people will come up to us and and say like Oh man, like I didn't, I didn't realize there was only two of you up there. Is it? Is there really only two of you, or you guys sounded really loud for a two piece? <laughs> and and that's kind of a running joke we have. But um, that's our goal, I think, is to really get as huge of a sound as as we possibly can out of the two of us. And and that's been um, different for me, even from writing parts for my instrument from that standpoint. Well, you spoke about doing the live loops, so you're doing that during a live set. How yeah. easy is it to crash and burn? Uh, incredibly, <laughs> incredibly, incredibly easy. Yeah, rehearsal is really important. Yeah. Um, there's, there's even small things. For example, when I was in, you know, a four-piece band, if we drop down to a verse, a common technique in rock or punk music is when you drop down to a, a verse, maybe you just have the drums and the bass, you know, crashing away, and the guitars drop out for a moment. Um, and there's an opportunity that you can like say you fell out of tune or something. Now you can tune your guitar up real quick before you have to jump back in. Um, but those opportunities don't exist within our set. We, we just got to power through everything. Um, and so it takes a lot of rehearsal time. Um, I actually have my guitar split through a, uh, a guitar amp and a bass amp. Um, and then about 60% of a lower octave blended in um, and then, you know, running through a big bass cab so that we can get that big full bass sound as well. Um, so yeah, if you stop for a second, you know, it's not just your guitar part stopping, it's the guitar stops and the bass stops and you know, everything stops. And you know, if, if you're playing live with a four piece band and you're a lead guitarist and you play a lead wrong, you jump right back in on that lead and nobody really remembers or notices. But if you play a loop wrong and then you kick the pedal and you loop that back for infinity, <laughs> then everybody hears your mistake forever. So rehearsal is really important, um, especially rehearsing the, the looped parts. 
Um, and then Jesse actually gets a feed of my uh, loops in his ears while we're playing. And so that's how we stay together. He actually plays to my loops, whereas some bands, they'll play to a click track or they'll all just kind of play to the drummer. He actually plays to the tempo of the loops that are laid down. So, um, yeah, if you do crash and burn, you crash and burn absolutely epically. There's there's no hiccups. So <laughs> you either get through it or, or you crash and burn pretty bad. But luckily, uh, we've been fortunate to avoid that for the most part. And we've done, uh, you know, we've put the time in that it takes in rehearsal um, to kind of ensure that, that that doesn't happen. Because we care about the people that come to see us live and we want to make sure we put on a good show for them. American Arson has been really busy. I mean, your first EP, The Vine and the Branches, came out during the summer of 2014. Yeah. The Seeds in the Soil in the spring of 2015. And then The Blood and the Bones in December. Yeah. Like, did you have all this stuff bottled up inside of you, or has this really been a progression? <laughs> no, I, really, I mean, it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think a lot of bands, you could just write 12 songs, right, and, and just call it a full-length album. Um, but the thing for me is that at that point, you know, I really wanted to kind of chronicle this journey out of my former band and into new territory. And, you know, a journey is documented at different points in time. And so if you write 12 songs just off the bat and you release it as a, you know, a full length, um, all of those are going to be from the perspective of a person who's at the same place. Um, or if you write them over the course of two months, you know, maybe you chronicle a two month journey there. But being able to step back and record songs over the period of about a year and a half, that kind of offered me the opportunity to, you know, kind of really, um, you know, document that journey uh, out of, you know, what I was doing before and, and into new territory. And that part's been pretty fun just to, uh, see the different places that I've been and, and you know, in the ways that I've uh, documented those things. That's That's been pretty fun. So uh, I'm really glad that we ended up doing it that way. And the other thing that that did was it allowed Jesse to be involved in the end of it. Whereas if I had done, you know, all 12 right at the beginning when it was still a solo project, it would have been a studio drummer. And yeah, and we've worked in uh, several tours in there as well. We love to play live or you know making plans now for uh, a few more here so um we have to take a break briefly i'll let jesse tell you about why since it's all his fault that we have to take a break <laughs> hey, hey, you're not, out of the band that's it <laughs> he's not complaining too much um uh earlier this past fall i kind of noticed my wrist and hand my right wrist and hand were hurting a little bit and um i couldn't play for too long without it being significantly painful and um uh i i went and got it checked out and at first they thought maybe i just kind of like sprained it a little bit and um uh or done something kind of like that and so they put me in a miniature cast type deal and and then i went back after that didn't change anything for two months and uh i there they found out there is a couple cysts that had developed in my hand and wrist and so I made the decision to go ahead and have the surgery to to remove those. Um, the surgery, uh, the operation that they're going to do sounded like it would be the one that would give me the best chance of just never having to deal with those again and not letting them come back. <laughs> so I'll be out of commission for a month, month and a half or so here to start the new year. The surgery is actually going to be next Friday. Um, and so, yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing like life-threatening or anything crazy like that. But you know, it's 
just a little annoying thing and uh guess I kind of overused my wrist here as we were we were touring hard this year and and whatnot but uh yeah, uh, we'll get that out of the way, and then we'll we'll hit the road even even harder this year. So, but you're not going to do eight to ten months of touring. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 probably not. We uh, when we come back from Jesse's injury, the first thing that we're doing after that is in mid February we're going to be out at um, uh, Millennium Music Conference in Pennsylvania and play a few dates uh, surrounding that as well. Um, so we'll kind of ease back in and then a full tour in April in our shorter kind of jaunt through the Midwest there. And then uh, as summer rolls around, you know, probably uh, amp things up a little bit. Uh, we've actually been talking about heading out west for our summer plans. We have a little bit more time uh, to kind of just go wherever we want to go. So Cool. I really want to get into some of the specifics of your music. Okay. Okay, so the vines and the branches. I mean, that, yeah. that brought out the rock of American Arson. Yeah. But funny enough, for me, the outstanding track on the EP's got a lot more laid-back sound. The least of these has got quite a story behind it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of similarities between the, the band that I was in and what American Arson is doing, but one of the, the big similarities is this idea of sort of building tension and releasing it. I really like, you know bringing things all the way down to maybe one guitar and a little lead line and then bam, you know, jumping right back in. Um, and so, you know, th those kind of songs are really fun to play live when you can just break something all the way down to a vocal and a guitar and then you can just kind of, uh, you know, bring everything back in and have a nice big explosion. Um, but yeah, the with the least of these, um, I was working through what I wanted to discuss on those first four songs and just kind of came across this story, a really powerful story about a man um, from Texas, actually, uh, who his body was found uh, on the street and uh, multiple people had had the opportunity to help him or call the ambulance or, you know, do something in any way. And there was actually people, you know, just kind of taking cell phone pictures with his body Um and it just really struck me that we've become, you know, a culture of observers um, instead of participants. You know, we comment on things and we take pictures of things, um, but we don't always experience things. And even when we, you know, there's our, our brother, a, a fellow human dying on the streets and people are like, oh, this is, you know, I'll post this on my Instagram because it's funny that somebody's laying on the street um, rather than, you know, I'll use that same device that I'm taking a picture with. Uh, to call 911 and see if we can't get this guy some help. And he ended up dying because of that. And, I, um, you know, that's, that hit me really hard because I just feel like, you know, we, we are just such an observer culture. And I don't think any of the people who did it, you know, had cruel intentions or were intending to be, you know, heartless. I just think that when you live in this culture that, you know, this what I call like an observer culture instead of a participant culture, um, it becomes easy to just look at everything and everyone as just part of your scenery and something that you can, you know, take a picture of or tweet about um, instead of participate in. I hear you. It's like you're watching a television show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, that's something that technology has done is it's opened us up to this vast world. And that's obviously amazing. And there's so many benefits of that. Um, but we've kind of seen it all, right? I mean, like, you get a video, you know, message from somebody and, you know, of something that they saw or whatever. And you're like, oh, man, that's crazy. That's like hilarious or something. You, you can go online and search for, 
you know, cat drives a tank or something. And there's probably a video <laughs> of cat driving a tank. So, you know, it, we're just, we, we're not shocked by anything anymore. So we see a man dying on the street and you're just sort of like, oh yeah, I've seen this. I probably saw a video of it once, you know, so we just kind of observe instead of participate. That was, like you had said, I mean, you mentioned the least of these specifically, and that, that song was instrumental for me in joining the band because, uh, I mean, they all were. I loved the musical direction and style that he was going with. But um, I think as hard as it can be sometimes to find, you know, a group of guys, or in this case, even only one, that uh, you click with musically and can write the same stuff together musically that that you want to go with, it's, it's even harder to find someone that you have that connection with as well as on a personal level and the same exact message that you want to get out there. And uh, that, that song, when I heard that, I was kind of like, man, this guy gets it. <laughs> um, that was definitely a huge selling point for me in terms of, you know, what kind of person I wanted to go on this journey with or how they kind of saw the world. And um, that, that one hit me hard. We get a we get a lot back from that song as well. I know um, I've heard from people that that really have appreciated that song and had that one speak to them as well as others. But um, yeah, that's that's one of my personal favorites. Even though, like you said, you know the whole EP kind of it's it's a pretty hard hitting EP, and then it kind of drops down for a second there at the beginning of that song. But I think that's why it uh, it maybe connects a little more emotionally to some people. Well, talking about ones that drop down, American Arson's follow-up, The Seeds yeah. in the Soil. I mean, acoustic. <laughs> you even included an acapella number with I Walk Alone. Yeah. Like, what is that all about? <laughs> well, I never got an opportunity to do that before, to record an acoustic EP um, uh, or to do anything stripped down, really. Uh, and so I thought... I thought it would be kind of a, a cool uh, dichotomy, you know, to put that with this kind of in-your-face uh, rock EP and then break it down, you know. Um, and some of the subjects uh, and stuff that are dealt with on the Seeds in the Soil, they just seemed to fit a little bit better with, with a stripped-down, you know, acoustic medium. And so that was really fun um, to make. The stuff on that EP doesn't show up as often live. We do things from it every once in a while, or if we have an opportunity to play a longer set, um, you know, we'll work it in. And we we did. Uh, I walk alone was in was in the set for a little while. Um, that was really fun to do live because I think a lot of people are sort of like, what What in the world's going on? <laughs> you get an opportunity to really show people the looping firsthand. Um, you know, I think some people get it. You know, if they play music or something, they look at the pedal and they're like, oh yeah, I can kind of see what he's doing. And some people are like, I have no clue what he's doing. But then you do the, you know, you do the vocal looping on uh, I Walk Alone. And they're like, oh, yeah, I get it. This is like, uh, this is like what Ed Sheeran does. So. <laughs> we, got, we, had one, we had one guy yell from the crowd one night comparing us. Like, I think Evan was giving his um, little explanation on stage of kind of exactly what's happening with us and how we're just a two-piece. And he, he does all this looping. And somebody yelled like, so like Ed Sheeran, right? So, so I think that's the first and only time we've ever gotten compared to uh, Ed Sheeran, a solo acoustic artist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that was you know it was fun to do something like that. You know, it was you know with the looping. Yeah, at the same time, just completely changing the style for an EP. You know, what I tell people is kind of still has the same feel. You know, it's still uh, 
a lot of the songs are kind of based and written around like a minor chord feel. Even though I was playing an acoustic guitar, it's still kind of raw vocally, you know, not auto-tune or any of that kind of stuff that people are really into today. Um, just kind of tried to keep that, you know, as raw and earthy as possible. You pulled out a 200-year-old song, Wayfaring yeah. Stranger, record on the yeah. Seeds in the Soil. I mean, what was it about that song that made you want to record it? Um, I was on tour in uh, South Carolina, and we were in a van for that tour, but there was a, a couple bands that were in a tour bus, and a few shows got canceled, and we all jumped on the bus, and we went up to... Uh, South Carolina to stay with this family who lives kind of out in the woods um, and they have it was something like eight or nine kids but they were incredibly hospitable to the tour and you know put us up and gave us a place to stay they had actually like a fishing house down by the river we kind of used it as a bunkhouse and um, it was, they were you know very kind you know, fed us and you know cared for us and stuff um, but they came out and performed a song for us at dinner their whole family like mom dad and a, and a bunch of kids and performed Wayfaring Stranger, and they did it in parts, you know, with uh, the harmonies and stuff, and they did, uh, uh, you know, and they dropped it down to a single voice, and it come back in, and that was the first time I had ever actually heard the song, and I thought it was really, really cool, and, you know, then a couple years went by, and when I was, you know, um, messing around with stuff for the Seeds in the Soil, I thought about the song and realized that it fit really well, and I was like, well, it's it's a couple hundred years old, so there's no copyright issues, so kind of laid it down to see how it would go and it and it fit really well with the other songs um yeah i i love the song i, I love like the, the the way that it's kind of based in minor chords and very kind of somber sounding but also leaves a lot of room to to get you know big and loud in there as well so it's a it's a cool song and i was you know humbled to be able to take a crack at it because i know a lot of uh, major artists have done so over the years and I thought you were going to say that you put that family on tour with you. <laughs> you were going to hire them and get some backing singers, yeah. One of those big bandstands up in the back. <laughs> well, American Arson has just released step three in your Origin EP series with yeah. The Blood and the Bones. I guess it's really it's my personal favorite of the three releases. But the okay. opening song uses a historical folktale for the basis of the yeah. Beast of Givadon. How yeah. did you come up with that? So um, I was a history major in, in college, you know, and I've always been drawn to some of these uh, these folk tales that, you know, there's some truth in them, but you can kind of tell. There's, that there's another rarity. You don't usually find two band guys with college degrees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most of, yeah, it's not it's not cool to yeah, go to school and play like, music. But. Oh, you, you went to school? Yeah. So, but I, I, I had heard about the story and I, um, you know, I've always been drawn to stories like that as well. And so I was thinking about it as writing this song, um, and just about the imagery and the metaphor of this man eating beast. And, you know, part of what I wanted to get across this song is that I know I do it and I know a lot of other people do it too, but, um, where we actually become this, this man eating beast, this kind of self deprecating, a uh, person that um, we don't let ourselves get away with anything. We're, we're the first ones to nail ourselves to the wall every time we mess up. And I think that's been something that for me, um, I've never done a really great job of dealing with my own failure. Um, and when I fail, I, I really uh, 
it really hits me hard and I, I have a, a high expectation for myself and I hold myself to a high standard. And when I, when I fail, um, you know, I really kind of tear myself apart. And, uh, so I kind of thought of, you know, of the imagery of this man eating beast, just kind of rolling through the countryside and creating all this havoc and how I can actually be that in my own life because of the way that, you know, I have a difficult time, uh, letting go of, of failure and, and coming to grips with the, the fact that I'm a fallible person and that, you know, I'm going to mess things up. So there's probably a bunch of people that got the EP and the first thing that they did was go on Wikipedia and type it in because they were like, what in the heck is, is this all about? But it was cool. It, it just kind of dropped in and, and fit well in the, in the lyrical content. Another of the songs on the Blood and the Bones EP is My Father's House. Yeah. Include some interesting lyrics because you've written, Now I won't pretend to understand why I was given such an unrelenting passion for something that never ceases to disappoint me. Yeah. You want to expand on that? Yeah. Um, I feel very, very blessed to have been able to go on this journey musically, both with Good Luck Varsity and with uh, American Arson. But at the same time, it's been a grind. You know, Good Luck Varsity collapsing was very, very disappointing to me because of the amount of work and the amount of effort that I'd put into that. You know, that was my full-time thing at the time. That was, you know, all I was doing. And some of the earlier EPs, they deal with that. And, you know, this EP was about moving past that and looking forward. And I think to do that, I had to kind of come to terms with the fact that, you know what, I have a drive and a fire to pursue this. And I know that there's a reason for that. And so even though a lot of times um, it results in failure and, and maybe an outcome that isn't as favorable as what I would necessarily hope for, um, I have this push to do it. I, I firmly believe that if you're doing what you're called to do, um, if you're where you're supposed to be, you know, that, that the other things don't really matter so much. And so, you know, for me, yeah, if we if we drive seven hours and then we play for three people, um, you know, that's incredibly disappointing. But at the same time, there's a reason that we're in that room with those three people. And, you know, maybe we can affect those three people uh, with our music. Um, maybe one of them really needed to come to a rock show that day and, and you know, empathize with somebody um, whose songs, you know, shared a particular message. And it's kind of funny because that video that we did for the song kind of highlights an incident where my guitar was stolen when we were on tour. And it was, a, you know, not only was it, an ex was it an expensive instrument, but it also had a lot of sentimental value to me. Um, it had been my main touring guitar for a long time. And so we kind of put that into the video because it was just sort of like, you know, this is just this is what happens. You have to be prepared if you want to do this. You know, I think a lot of people think it's just, you know, it's all fun and games all the time. But if, if you feel called to this life, there's going to be a lot of disappointment. And, um, you know, you've got to start figuring out what you personally are going to do to deal with that. You know, that's kind of what that song is all about. Um, just feeling that conviction and drive to keep pushing forward, even though um, maybe the success that you're having or lack thereof doesn't necessarily justify that to a person who's, you know, looking at it from the outside. So Jesse, American Arson's three EPs have been called the Origin Series. So if that's the beginning, then what's the next step going to be? <laughs> Maybe um, Jesse can't answer this one. <laughs> hey, um, no, we've, we've talked about that a little bit here recently. Obviously, I guess if there's anything good that is coming out of this, this surgery and having to take a short break here, we, uh, have it's given us some time to kind of sit back and 
and look at 2016 and uh, um, and see what we want to do with that. Um, we will be definitely playing a, lot, a good amount of shows this next year. Um, but we do we do have ideas. We do kind of have a, a rough outline, I guess, for, for what we want to do in terms of um, potential new music and uh, where we want to go in that direction. And we're kind of in the, the stages of talking through that and figuring out exactly what the next step will be. Um, I know we're both pumped for that, um, and the ideas we've come up with so far have, have been exciting to the both of us, and uh, we do have plans, but I don't think we're quite at the point where we can say specifically what they are yet. Good job of playing dodgeball, Jesse. You were so <laughs> political. <laughs> That's it, man. You can run for mayor of Detroit now. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'd want to do that. It might not be worth it to me. <laughs> That's a whole other interview in and of itself. <laughs> Jesse, Evan, I hope Michigan wins. Thank Us you. Too. Oh, man. It'll make for a more pleasant drive home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a 16 hour car ride can get kind of long if they don't. Yep. Been there, done that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know what you're talking but, about. But we won't we won't have to worry about that. Yeah, no, we're we're good. We got it. <laughs> guys have a great time with the new release and thanks for meeting with the antidote absolutely, absolutely. thanks for having us out Thank i appreciate you. it